Welcome back to Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. How are you, Jane? Um, I'm sunburnt. Oh, did you go outside today? Yeah, I went for a walk with my mom, and I wanted to get some sun on my shoulders, and she was like, you don't need sunscreen. We're going to be out not long. No, you then... do need sunscreen every time. <laughs> Even if you're... Yeah. Even if you're just going for 10 minutes, put on some sunscreen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't leave your house without it. Okay. I w- and I will remember that next time. This was the, the lesson learned. Even if, it's, even if it's not summertime, put on your sunscreen before yeah, you leave the house. You can still get a sunburn in the winter. Even if you don't have a job where you work outside. If you just like, yeah. Put on sunscreen. My lotion that I use every day has, has SPF in it. And my makeup actually also has SPF. Good girl. But how are you, Sarah? <laughs> I'm fine. I was supposed to go get a corn dog with Hunter, but now we're starting late, so I don't think I get my corn dog. I'm sorry. It's gonna be my Korean corn dog. <laughs> Janet and I are sorry. Oh, hi, Janet. I do. I do love Janet. Janet's a friend. <laughs> Janet's a whole friend. Um, Janet's a jellyfish. <laughs> Janet is a Squishmallow who is a jellyfish. Um, I passed a car the other day that the back of it was just like totally full to the window of Squishmallows. And I was like, that's my friend. <laughs> that is my friend. That's so funny. Um, yeah, there's this place in the East Village that makes Korean corn dogs. And <laughs> I was crying Ooh. laughing. Andy makes fun of us because he thinks we just want to go because they're Korean, which isn't true. We want to go because they look delicious. <laughs> they're like batter fried. And like, there's one that's covered in flaming hot Cheetos, which is Hunter's favorite food. There's one that's like covered in Rice Krispie treats Ooh. and fried. Like they're real, they're like extra. They're not just like your typical corn dog, but they're also, the corn dogs are filled with either cheese or Ooh. I forget what the second thing could be filled with is. It's either cheese or something else. So Hunter, Hunter is telling me, she's like, I'm going to go to my thing and then I'm going to go into the city and I think I'm going to get a corn dog if you want to, if you want to meet me. And I was like, oh, maybe, I don't know. It depends on what time I'm done recording. And she was like, oh. and she was like, okay. And Andy was like, are you really going to go out of your way for a corn dog? And she was like, Andy, you're, I hate the judgment that I'm getting from you right now. And I go, it's a corn dog. And she yelled, it's filled with cheese. Like she was a five-year-old. <laughs> I was like, why do you sound like a kid begging for a treat from the ice cream truck? <laughs> it was very funny. It was very, very funny. So now now we're like, okay, well, we have to drag Andy there to show him that this ain't no typical corn dog. This is a special corn dog. <laughs> so rip my corn dog. Yeah. Uh, TBD her corn dog. It'll happen soon. We're tabling the corn dog for a later date. Um, I will get back to you uh, on on that. That's, I mean, I don't really have anything exciting going on at the moment. I'm getting ready for summer camp to start. Only two weeks left of school. This is my last week of school. I'm going to be sad. Are you sad? I think so. I'm, I mean, I, I've like bonded with my students, even though I've only been with them one semester. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. They're very sweet. I'm going to miss yeah, them. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to miss my school a lot. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just actually got my fall schedule for Columbia, which is exciting. So I know what my class schedule is going to be. Like. <gasps> so that was exciting. Um, it was good to get. My smart friend. Yeah. Um, we have this very long summer reading list. So I guess I got to. I guess oh. I got to do that now. <laughs> I learned that apparently I, I don't read correctly. <laughs> I, I, I've, 
I'm 26 and <laughs> I never learned how to read. Because uh, <laughs> I'm not 26, you're 25. That's true. Uh, I was rounding mm-hmm. up because we're in the two-month mm-hmm. window. So Yes, for you, we're in the two-month window. Um, for me, yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, I saw a TikTok recently that was like, I just found out that some people don't read one word at a time. And I was shook because like, I, Jane I also only the, reads one word at a time. That's correct. Like, it's not like I like need to sit and sound out words. Like I can look at a word and know what the word is, but like for me, like reading a page out loud and reading a page in my head, yeah. same thing. Wild. And I don't, I cannot possibly understand the alternative. Absolutely wild to me that that's your reality. I don't, I can't, what do you mean? You just like look at a page and know what it, like, or look at a sentence and know it. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Because I can take, it's because your brain takes everything in within a context. So like, have you ever seen those word puzzles that are all of the middle letters are jumbled, but the first and last letter, I think maybe the middle letter are the same. And then you can look at it and you know what word it is because your brain is taking it into a context. You ever seen those activities? Mm, I, I, I'm probably. Okay. I'm going to put a word in the chat and all the letters are going to be jumbled. (laughs) But you're going to be able to, but you should look at it and you're going to know what word that is. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. It says tushnod. Um, <laughs> um, okay, look away and then look back and tell me the first word that comes to mind. Touched. <laughs> no, that's not even the correct letters, Jane. <laughs> So maybe your brain, maybe your brain just can't do this. Maybe that's the problem. This so is you're the... saying the first letter and the last letter are correct? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the way she keeps dramatically looking back. It's like a bit. Um, d- uh, t- <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so uh, clearly, uh, clearly whatever brain function this is that allows people to do it, that's what, that's what's not correct with you. That's why you have to read each letter individually instead of looking at a word and knowing. There's the an word. H. Is it like a, like a? I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try a different this, word. What is this word? <laughs> Hold on. It's it's thousand, Jane. What? <laughs> I would never have gotten that. Tushnod. Tushnod. It's thousand. It's literally thousand. I'm gonna try a different word. I love. That piece of furniture I bought from Ikea, my tushnod. Okay. Um, <laughs> my tushnod. Became. A, okay. Became? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I only thought that because I read it out loud first and I heard the word, the sound. Tushnod. Okay. <laughs> Clearly this is a brain function that's missing for you. And that's fine. <laughs> you know, that's fine. It's not, it hasn't inhibited you or in any way, like you're living your normal life. You know, that's fine. But whatever skill this is that you're not, these word puzzles are just not for you. And that's fine. No. And that's fine. Would you like to get started? Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> now that we've done word puzzles, tushnod. <laughs> if I had not already named butter, I would rename butter tushnod, but. Instead of saying touche for the rest of my life, I'm going to say tushnod. Say tushnod. <laughs> I'll never remember to commit to that, but if I do, I will. Okie dokie. Now, we are going to take a little trip down under. 
to oh, down under. Oh, I forgot that's what we're talking about. <laughs> oh no. Oh no, yeah, it's to, to the continent slash country of Australia. Oh no. And I have assembled a list of crazy animals from there. And my list is not exactly from least dangerous to most dangerous, but I tried to do like cute slash interesting ones and then dangerous ones. Okay. So the first one, this is just kind of a fun fact, an interesting thing. There used to be an animal in Australia. It went in, extinct over 80 years ago, but it was called the thylacine or the Tasmanian tiger. Oh. It was striped like a tiger, and it kind of looked like a wolf. Some people called it the Tasmanian wolf, but it was, in fact, a marsupial. It could stand up on its hind legs and use its tail Aww. as a tripod like kangaroos, and both males and females had pouches. Aww. So, yeah, I wanted to bring up this animal because I think it's important to note that the Australian wilderness has been last year had the wildfires it was dealing with and in general mm -hmm. we should be protecting our environment and doing what we can yes. to preserve wildlife just because i'm afraid doesn't mean i hurt <laughs> <laughs> i and do this is fear. an example of a really cool creature that used to exist and doesn't anymore yeah so our first weird creature that still exists is the pellucid hawk moth which this is okay. the first time I ever heard the phrase hawk moth outside of Miraculous Ladybug. That's the name of the villain. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a cross between a moth, a cicada, and a glass wing butterfly. Its body is bright yellow, but it has transparent wings. And even though when it's standing still, the wings are completely see-through, when it's flying, the wings are reflective. So... It essentially is invisible when it flies. So an invisible moth, isn't that fun? Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, this next one is called the numbat. It is a small marsupial that spends its nights hiding in logs that only it's <laughs> that it can fit in, but its predators can't fit into. And Mood. it uses its, quote, thick-skinned rump to block the entrance of the log. I don't know so, how I feel about the phrase, thick-skinned rump. Uh, you know, she thick with two Cs. And thick. uses that to keep herself safe. And it's hunted by many animals, such as foxes, feral cats, dingoes, and birds of prey, and is sadly endangered. But it's a cute little-looking thing. Aww. The numbat. Does it the, look like a bat? No. It's like how wombats don't look like bats. It's like a little mammal. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. following. Mm -hmm. The next creature is the laughing kookaburra. Now, the kook... Did you ever learn that song in elementary school? Laugh, kookaburra, laugh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kookaburra, gay, your life must be happy pride. <laughs> <laughs> happy pride, Kook folks. Yeah. Kookaburras are an interesting type of bird because of their laughter. Studies show that families have similar laughter styles and they only Aww. laugh socially. So they only laugh when other kookaburra are around. They don't do it when they're alone. Aw, that's cute. I know. When I was a kid and we went to Puerto Rico, my mom and I were obsessed with the frogs that are, I believe, indigenous to Puerto Rico or indigenous to that area, that they're called koki frogs. And the way they chirp is they go, koki, koki. I was obsessed oh, it, with them as a kid. 
Is that why your mom said that that explains everything? When there was a frog in our house during quarantine, every oh. time we heard it, your mom would go, cookie, cookie, and it made yeah. no sense to me. I was like, why is she saying that? That's not what it sounds like. <laughs> it was an inside joke. Now it's all coming together. <laughs> no, I love those frogs. I even had a stuffed animal that was of one of them, and when you squeezed his, his uh, little hand, he would make a they make the noise. I loved them. They're cute. I love <laughs> nice, animals cute. with with cute little noises. Well, cuckoo bears have laughed. I haven't listened to how human like they sound, but <laughs> maybe I don't want to know that. <laughs> maybe, yeah, yeah. Can you imagine just like being in the woods at night or something, and you just hear like, ha, 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 ha. like <laughs> no. no thanks, like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm gonna get murdered here. Uh, <laughs> there's a predator. Yeah. Okay. So our next creature is the short-beaked echidna. <laughs> That's and a bird. I wrote, an echidna. With no. Uh, <laughs> oh no! I know what an echidna porcup- is. Never mind. Never mind. Okay. With porcupine-like spines, a bird-like beak. It's kangaroo-like pouch and it's reptilian style of laying eggs. This animal is like God threw some traits in a bag and pulled them out without looking. They're really cute. What show was I watching that had baby echidnas in it? Something there was something about I saw them at a zoo once. They're really cute. They looked like the one I looked at was looked like a porcupine, but with like a beak. Yeah, they're super adorable. Yeah. It feeds its babies with milk like most ma- mammals, but it doesn't have nipples. How did, how did the babies get the milk, you ask? The skin on the inside of the pouch just oozes with milk, and the baby licks it. So, Aww. Yeah, they're num, adorable. Num. And this next one, like, this one was listed under, like, unique animals in Australia. It technically only exists in Tasmania still, and it doesn't really have that many unique characteristics, but I think because it is unique to that region, we'll bring them up. Tasmanian devils. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These cute little creatures are endangered due to a sad and contagious facial tumor disease that is like spreading around them. That's so, so gotta... sad. I know. <laughs> I know. But they're considered a helpful species because they um, kill species that are predatory to many other animals in Australia, such as foxes and again, feral cats. Definitely. So they're con- they are considered helpful by the animals, which I like. don't love to hear about like cats being killed, but when they're killing other big other species on a more rampant level, then that might be an issue. This next creature is the mistletoe bird. The mistletoe bird is mainly interesting because of the way that it poops. So it has um, bright yellow patches because of the mistletoe berries that it eats. And it Aww. eats mistletoe berries. And, the, and then prior to defecating, it performs a little dance as like a ritual before it's going to poop. And then it flies high into the trees and it rubs its butt along branches and leaves in order to deposit fully intact mistletoe seeds. So it eats mistletoe berries and then doesn't digest the seeds and they just fully pass through their system and they poop mistletoe seeds and replant them in the trees. That's wild. I know. And then the seeds cling to the host tree and grow and it's an invasive species so <laughs> mistletoe birds just keep eating it off of really high trees and replanting it so that they have a constant food source oh my god which can you imagine if we just like 
No. I'm not going to follow that metaphor through. That's too gross. Yeah. No, we don't need to follow that. <laughs> no. But yeah. This next creature is the Fitzroy River Turtle. Now, what makes Mr. Fitzroy interesting is that in order to stay underwater for very long periods of time, up to 21 days, and to feed and to hide from predators, which it has many of, like, again, feral cats, foxes, any animal will eat this turtle. Um, but So in order to hide and stay hidden underwater for a very long time, this turtle has developed the ability to breathe through its butt. Yay, evolution. <laughs> Yay. So it's just this turtle specifically because I've heard from many people because it was a fun fact in Frozen 2 that turtles breathe through their butts. But it's not all turtles. It's just this turtle. Yeah, I think it's just this turtle. I mean, I, I've never heard of turtles doing it. I've, did they mention that in Frozen 2? I don't remember that. Yeah, that's a bit in Frozen 2 that Olaf says at one point, that turtles breathe through their butts. And then a bunch of kids were like, Sarah, do you want to know a fact? Or that movie came out? And I was like, yeah. And that's all they would tell me. I'm like, I'm well aware. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Now. I'm well aware now. <laughs> I always think of you, Sarah, when I'm listening to Right Where You Left Me by Taylor Swift. And she does the part, did you ever hear about the girl who got frozen? And like, if she's meaning it in a very different context, not related to the movie at all, doesn't even work in a, in a sentence. But I'm always like, yeah, Sarah got frozen. She got obsessed with it. <laughs> I did. I got obsessed with Frozen. Okay, so those are like weird animals. Uh, oh, oh, no, I take it back. There's one more. And this one was not listed in the most deadly animals in Australia. And I think the main reason for that is just that it doesn't interact with humans that often. But it has the capability to be very deadly. And that is the mm -hmm. Australian Southern Cassowary. It's like a giant bird dinosaur looking thing. It looks like an emu mixed okay. with a turkey with like a flat horn on its head. And it's blue. Hate that. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, at least it's skin art. Like, it's feathers are, are not, but its skin is blue. Um, it weighs 60 okay. kilograms, can run up to 50 kilo kilometers per hour through dense forests. And it can swim across wide rivers and through the oceans. And it can jump 1.5 meters off the ground. And they have dagger-like claws, four toes. And they jump claw first at their prey. Jeez, okay. <laughs> so I was already afraid of emus. I didn't, worry, I didn't realize I had to be worried about you these. You don't want these things chasing you. They will kill you. But I, I think it's just rare for them. They will kill you. <laughs> I think it's it's rare for them to chase humans. I don't think they do. I don't think they are worried about us. I think okay. we kind of leave them alone. But I was like, these should be listed in the deadly animals list. I don't understand why they're just Absolutely. unique. <laughs> okay. <laughs> these, so uh, Australian Southern cats are terrifying creatures. Now we are in our dangerous animals list. Now I thought it was interesting that all of these creatures were ranked on like a scale of one to ten and deadly but all of them were like in the seven to ten region it was like seven out of ten and then it was like most of them were seven out of ten a couple were eight and then like two were nine out of ten and then one was ten out of ten. Oh my god dane like will kill you okay the first one <laughs> you have no chance yeah the first one is the common death adder it was ranked like seven out of ten i didn't write down all of their <laughs> rankings but 
common death yeah. says enough. Common yes. death matter, which was surprisingly like last on the list. Like it was the least deadly. Uh, so most snakes, if they hear a person coming, instinctually they will slither away. This snake instinctually freezes in place and camouflages itself. So the trouble comes from the fact that you might accidentally step on it because it, it won't slither away from you. And then it will feel the need to defend itself. And its bite causes loss of motor and sensory function. So you just go numb and might get paralyzed and your breathing slows down. So that's fun. Cute. Uh, <laughs> don't do a drinking game every time I say the word neurotoxin from here on out. <laughs> it's going to be. Okay. <laughs> Can I drink my water? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Yes, yes, get hydrated. The next creature, also a snake, is the coastal taipan. It's not a super aggressive snake, and it will only attack in self-defense. And these snakes are rarely encountered, and there have been no known deaths caused by them. But their venom is designed to work on mammals, such as rats, and it can work very quickly. The venom attacks the nervous system and blood and can cause internal bleeding, headaches, nausea, and vomiting. Mm, sounds like a oh. pharmaceutical commercial. <laughs> Side effects may cause death <laughs> while Scarlett Johansson dances. <laughs> Our next deadly creature, and these are going to gradually get go this yes. from here on, it's least to most deadly. Mm-hmm. This next one is the blue ringed octopus. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. The blue ringed octopus is brown most of the time, but. When it is threatened, it turns it it like glows these iridescent blue lines and rings on its body. So you don't want to see it when it's blue. If it's brown, I don't want to see it. Period. <laughs> okay, but the thing is, they only bite when they're picked up and taken out of the water by people. And so if you leave them alone, they will leave you alone. Uh, so just just don't bother them. Yeah, don't bother Their the octopus. Bite, stay par- stay far yeah. away from all octopi. <laughs> their bite contains neurotoxins which will paralyze you uh-huh. and if you die it's it won't really be because like you're injured or be because your lungs are paralyzed and you can't breathe mm, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep I love, I love the sea <laughs> I love the sea it's beautiful down there <laughs> <laughs> Our next creature is the Sydney funnel web spider. This spider lives mostly around the Sydney area. And in fact, there's like suburbs that have been built in its habitat. So it's like, it's mostly like those areas that are really affected by it. It, the bites from this spider is only fatal if you get bit by a male spider, which it's a metaphor for something. You, you could make something out of that. <laughs> These spiders will die if exposed to UV light, so they burrow under piles of bricks, logs, or stones, mm-hmm. and they come out at night. The bite is very painful and contains a neurotoxin that attacks the nervous system, which leads to painful symptoms and sometimes death. Uh-huh. <laughs> Our next <laughs> contestant, come on down, the saltwater or estuarine crocodile. Ooh, I'm into crocodiles. This, yeah. This one came up on several lists I saw. If you're in Australia as a visitor, just the general advice that I found 
is that you should take what locals and experts tell you seriously because they will know what areas it's more common for the crocodiles to be hiding in. These mm. creatures like to hide and then ambush prey. And if you, I, I saw one piece of advice that's if you live in an area where these crocodiles are, don't leave your dog tied up outside. Oh, yeah. Will, it won't make it. No. It won't make it. <laughs> so Sorry, pal. He's not going to make it. <laughs> So, like, maybe keep it behind a fence or, like, don't leave it outside alone. Mm-hmm. You know. One time a crocodile could knock down a fence, depending on the type of fence. But it could. That's true. That's true. One time, um, my family was by this lake, and a beaver was swimming by, and my dog jumped in the water and tried to swim after it. And we were like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> we were like, I'm not. Thankfully, she eventually turned around, but we were like, if you get up to that thing, it will not go well. Yeah, (laughs) that beaver will take you out. It will fight for its life. (laughs) Oh, my God. Animals are wild. We we were so scared. She was like, a friend! Jump! Jump! (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, We're almost to the end here. We have four more scary creatures. Mm -hmm. Our next one is the eastern brown snake. Okay. This is the most Ooh, deadly snake. snake genus in Australia. <laughs> I'm a snake. Ooh, where'd my arms go? Just kidding. I'm a snake. <laughs> Thank you, Star Kid. Your jokes are all I think about. Okay. What was I saying about the snake? Okay, it is the most deadly snake genus in Australia, and it is found all over the continent. It's about 3.2 There's feet no long. escaping it. <laughs> There's no escaping it. <laughs> trying to stay positive. <laughs> Oh my God, Jane, I didn't tell you this. Last weekend, me and a couple of our friends went to Coney Island and <laughs> at one point we went to get food and drinks. And so we left our friend Jenna on the blanket and the rest of us went to get the food and drinks. And so we're on the mm-hmm. boardwalk, me, Sam and Christine, and we get our drinks. We're exiting the stall with drinks in hand. And I exited first and there was a man there and he had a boa constrictor <laughs> and the boa constrictor was on the boardwalk and people were, were circled around it, like taking pictures, whatever. And he was like, yeah, this is my snake. And I went, <laughs> I, I screamed, not because I was afraid, but because I was like, this deserves a public service announcement. Some people are like, very very afraid of snakes i'm not one of them but like that is a polarizing fear for some people and so i went there's a snake (laughs) christine (laughs) went nope and she veered off and started like hustling (laughs) (laughs) down the beach and jennifer a moment was like was there really a snake and we're like there really was (laughs) it's like there was a whole snake it was so weird anyway that's my bit about me seeing a snake last weekend there was one um, website I looked at that the headline of it was Australia is the land of nope. It really is. Like, I want to <laughs> go there, but also please, I know, please, I don't want to see anything while I'm there. Okay. So I was in the middle of talking about the, the <laughs> yeah, snake, I know me too. the, no, the snake, the Eastern Brown snake. Mm-hmm. It's about 3.2 feet long and it's very quick moving. <laughs> the website described it as nervy. So it can make a lot of quick movements. And I, I didn't mm. like that. <laughs> <If> you, <laughs> Not for me. I, I, 
that's not a fan. If you get close, they can strike and bite you very quickly. And one reason why they are so deadly is that their bites are very quick and can initially be painless or even mm. unnoticed. So people don't think they need medical attention. Mm. However, the venom will cause eventual paralysis and uncontrollable bleeding. So... Oh my God, speaking of, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. Is that the, is no, that the end of the bit about the snake? Okay, so last week yeah. I had to do first aid and CPR training for summer camp. And I was at my first aid training and we were talking about animal bites. And um, the, the guy leading the training, he was like, if you get bit by an animal that is a stray animal or not an animal you know, you should go get checked for rabies. He was like, because, because mm. if you test for it and you get the medication, you'll be fine. He's like, but after onset of symptoms with for unchecked rabies, it has a 99% fatality rate. <gasps> 99% fatality rate. If you don't get checked, so if you are ever bitten by an animal that you do not know, go get checked for rabies. Yeah. Ooh. Like what? <laughs> he was like, he was like, yeah, rabies is sort of a silent killer. And we were like, <laughs> Well, thanks for the advice. Thanks for the advice, friend. <laughs> he was like, yeah, ne-. he's like, always go check out an animal bite. Always. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh mm-hmm. my God. Isn't that like a crazy fact? That's nuts. Yeah. Okay. That's so rabies especially PSA, if you get bit everybody. by a snake, even if you're like, I feel fine, go, go to, to the doctor. Go to the doctor. Our next creature is a creature from the deep. I'm sorry, Sarah. Our last three are. No. <laughs> They're all ocean creatures. Okay, well, that makes me yeah. feel better because that means I just won't get in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is the bull shark. Mm, okay, I know about bull sharks. Yep. Australia has oh, has 180 species of sharks, with bull sharks being the most deadly. Mm-hmm. Of those 180, though, only 12 have ever been reported to attack people. Mm-hmm. And I, again, even though these are the most deadly, like, it's the most deadly because if it attacks you, you're a goner. But I feel like I just want to, like, mention that sharks get kind of a bad rap. They um, are not as deadly as they are prescribed to be. The if, you're being, like, if you're being attacked by a shark, it's not because the shark wants to eat you specifically. It's not because it's like, ooh, a human. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And sharks get, like, hunted a lot when they, like, shouldn't be because people think they're these mean creatures when, like, they're just out there living their lives. They don't mean mm-hmm. to come for people. And, in fact, the statistic well, is that Well, that one from Jaws did. He seemed like he had intentions, but that's what Oh, yeah, but that was a movie. <laughs> but that's what sort of started this whole thing is that they were like, ah, oh, yeah, the sharks are hunting people. And they're really not. <laughs> that shark was, but as a species. <laughs> Well, it's like that movie Twister. Like, the Twister, like, comes for revenge. Like, they're not sentient. <laughs> I love Twister. Twister is such a shit show, and I love it. I really do. It makes no sense. How does the Twister yeah. know? <laughs> God, I love that movie. I love that movie. <laughs> so funny. Well, to finish my thing, I'll just say that the average number of shark-related deaths in Australia per year is 1.5. So. Right. Okay, that's like pretty it's, low. It's very slim. Yeah. Considering all these other creatures that are out there. <laughs> and it and that does say shark-related deaths. It doesn't say from shark attacks. Like maybe somebody was swimming away from a shark and they got hit by a boat or like something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our second to last creature is the Irukunji jellyfish. 
It's very tiny. Um, well, it's part of it's very tiny. It's bell, which is like the head. It's only mm-hmm. the size of a fingernail, but their tentacle can reach up to three feet. What? <laughs> three point, I think it was a little over three feet. I think it was like 3.2 or something like that, but I was just like, eh, I'm just going to say three. It. broken, <laughs> Yeah, I'm so sorry. Getting stung by this jellyfish will cause Irukunji syndrome which in about 30 minutes will cause severe lower back pain, cramps, sweating, anxiety, nausea, and other more fatal symptoms. So essentially it'll give you your period. Women are like, yeah, we've been there. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> this is very fatal. It's, it's very serious. <laughs> yeah. And our most deadly creature on our list is the box jellyfish. Ooh, I've heard of her. <laughs> Sorry, Janet, my Squishmallow, who is a jellyfish. You were the top two most dangerous creatures. Uh, with tentacles that can stretch more than six feet, that can cause highly dangerous <laughs> stings. <laughs> During warmer months, they come to breed in estuaries and shallow waters, and you can't always see them in the murky water. And if they brush up against you, one might sting you. And the sting is meant to paralyze fish, so it immobilizes your nerves and inhibits your breathing and movement, and a large dose can cause cardiac arrest and death within minutes. So avoid Try to avoid jellyfish, but apparently sometimes you just can't see them. I feel like that's so, what makes them deadly is that it, they're really yeah. hard to see sometimes. So just avoid murky waters in the warm months in Australia, which uh, seems like it's all the months, but I don't know. No, the they have there. winter. It's just the opposite time of as, as us. They're but does win- it get as cold? It gets colder, I think. Like their summers like, are very hot and then their winters are less hot. I would say less hot than here, yeah, but they still experience winter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those are my animals from Australia. Some of them were fun. We loved the echidna. We didn't we love, did the love the jellyfish as echidna. much. <laughs> <laughs> we did love the echidna. Um, there's a shark movie about how about bull sharks. Deep Blue Sea is about bull sharks, which is great oh. because most shark movies are about great whites. But bull sharks and tiger sharks are also two of the ones that are known to have killed a human Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but bull sharks are the most aggressive shark i did know that i am not less afraid by because i know that i did know (laughs) in fact i'm more afraid than ever at the moment actually um (laughs) i'm afraid of that um what was it called the cassuary yeah the australian southern cassuary like yeah no 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 no. (laughs) if i saw that i'd be like that's a raptor (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's some that's some Jurassic truly, Park shit truly truly I'm on the middle segment today yes you are yes I am and I wanted to introduce you all to a TikTok that's pretty new there's not that many um, TikToks posted yet and I'm gonna tell you like about half of them right now but I just thought it was really cool and had some fun facts and the TikTok is this guy He's an Australian man, so thematically this fits. He's a teacher, and his um, handle or name is at mjj.1992. Okay. And he has a lot of fun facts on etymology. And he 
like the series that I've been watching has been like, these are facts that I teach children that I think adults would quote froth, which is Australian slang for like really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have a couple of etymology fun facts from his videos. And I think everybody should go check out his, should go follow him. I love etymology. I'm excited. Cool. The first fun fact is the origin of the word Bluetooth. Ooh. The word Bluetooth is actually named after an old Viking king whose name was Harold the Bluetooth. Mm. And he was known for uniting two previously thought to be incompatible clans in Scandinavia. And the purpose of Bluetooth is to connect two incompatible pieces of technology. Oh, very cool. So they were like, yeah. So they're like, who should we name this after? And they looked in the history books and they found this guy, Harold the Bluetooth. And he was called Harold the Bluetooth because he had a very visibly rotten tooth. And in Old Norse language, um, blue didn't mean like the color blue. It meant very dark or almost black. So... It was to describe his rotten tooth. And the old runic symbols for his initials, H and B, um, when they're overlapped, that's the Bluetooth symbol. Oh, so we're bringing back runes again. Yeah. So cool. That's so fascinating. I love that. Yeah. The second one that I'm going to talk about is the reason why when you see, like, old-timey like taverns or blacksmith places or like the the reason why they are called ye old. Mm-hmm. So you'll see like, Oh, like the ye old bank oh, or whatever. I know this one, oh, but you can share it. You yep. share it. I'm excited. Sure. 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 So there used to be this letter called the thorn and it looks sort of like a P with the hump in the middle instead of on top. And this letter made the th sound. In the Gothic style of writing, this letter looked very similar to a Y. So when the printing press was invented, they didn't have room. Sarah's like nodding at me and looking so I'm happy. So I'm so excited. I, lo- I, I love this fact. I'm so excited. I think it's so interesting. They didn't have room for every letter. So they just started replacing the thorn with Ys because they looked so similar. So when you see a sign that says ye old tavern, it's just saying the old tavern. I think that's so the- fascinating. Yep. The reason why some words have another word that's like the plural form mm-hmm. um, and some just have an S at the end is because when the Vikings began to interact with the Anglo-Saxons and started learning English, they were learning like, you're like, okay, so one child is a child, but two is children. And they were like, that's dumb. So, uh, well, that's a bad example because that one they kept the same, but they didn't like that they had to learn two words for every mm-hmm. word of mm-hmm. singular ver- version and a plural version. So they're like, we're just going to start adding S's onto the end of things. So certain things that they interacted with a lot or came up in language a lot, that those are words that they just started tacking S's onto the end too. So like one book, like that book was a word that they had to say a lot. So mm-hmm. book just became books. And whereas not many people... Like, it wasn't as common as, as it is today to have children, multiple mm. children. So it, they mm. didn't, so that one, they didn't really need to say a lot. So they didn't feel the need to make up, make ch- childs. <laughs> so that's why there's like foot versus foot and feet versus foots. Like mm-hmm. anytime it's just like, oh, the Vikings didn't use that word that much. So we <laughs> keep the old English plural word. 
my next one is that the reason why in America we spell color without a U and favorite without a U, but in some other countries like Australia and in, in Great Britain, they spell it like color and favorite. Mm-hmm. Or as the guy in the TikTok said, because the reason why you guys spell it wrong um, is because color with a U and favorite is the old spelling that was the original spelling. And then when Merriam-Webster came around and decided to make a dictionary, he thought that it would be much easier to just spell words how they were pronounced phonetically so that people could read, like, read it and know how to say it. So he put color in the dictionary without a U, and he put favorite in the dictionary without a U. And <laughs> the people who knew how to spell it originally beforehand were just like, well, we know how to really spell it. So they kept spelling it correctly, but we <laughs> did not. We did not. <laughs> here are a couple of other examples of words that he tried to change the spelling of in order for them to be pronounced phonetically, but we didn't hold on to those. Um, soup, spelled S-O-O-P. Mm. Mm-hmm. Machine spelled M A S H E E N. Daughter spelled D A W T E R. And my favorite and the favorite of this guy's TikTok is women spelled W I M M I N. Women. Women. <laughs> it's like if women was spelled like Jimin. And my last one that I want to talk about is the origin of the word sandwich and Ooh. why I feel like we've all heard the fact that sandwich is named after the Earl of Sandwich. And it is true, but there's kind of a more of a story to that um, sandwich. Like he didn't just he was he wasn't like my name is sandwich. So we're calling the sandwich. No, he was the Earl <laughs> of a place who's called, called sandwich sandwich. And it's it really would have been pronounced like Sanditch because, mm-hmm. you know, there's like Woolwich and Greenwich, which mm-hmm. are like re- in England or like Greenwich, even though it's spelled like Greenwich and Woolwich, yeah. it's like Greenwich and Woolwich probably in English. Yeah. Um, we take out the W. Uh, yeah. You take out the W. So it really would have been like Sanditch. And which is like the old English word that it like translates to like town or area. Mm-hmm. So Greenwich means like a town with a lot of greenery and Woolwich is a town where they probably had a lot of sheep. Sandwich mm. was called Sandwich because there was a beach, a sandy beach. Mm. So Sandwich and the Earl of Sandwich asked his servant, he was really lazy and he asked them to invent a type of meal that he could eat without having to use silverware. He could just pick it up in his hands and eat it. And, and thus so they, the sandwich was born. And thus the sandwich was born. And that to is the where the chagrin that word of comes women from. everywhere. <laughs> so those were just some of his etymology fun facts. I didn't want to just use all of the ones that he had, but go look at the rest of them. They're all fun and interesting. And he seems so Cute. smart, and I just thought it was fun. That was really fun. Thank you for sharing that, Jane. I had a good time. You're welcome. I'm glad. Okay. Thank you, Jane, for all that valuable, valuable information. Are you some ready? Fun facts after the scary facts. Yes, yeah. I am. Are you ready for some sad facts? <laughs> yes. 
Today I'm going to talk about Heart Island or Hearts Island. And this was something I first heard about when I was watching the show Pose, which if you haven't watched it, highly recommend for everyone. Um, and I was really surprised that I'd never heard of it before. In the show, two characters go to Heart Island um, to because someone they know is being buried there. And this, I decided to talk about it. I want to talk about it during Pride Month because um, I think it is an important part of queer history because Heart Island has quite a history with the AIDS uh, epidemic that occurred in the 1980s and 90s. And, um, you know, that's something that we should talk about. Um, and something that's very, even though obviously not just gay people got AIDS, it disproportionately mm -hmm. affected the gay community. So mm -hmm. I thought this was an appropriate time to talk about what Heart Island is and its significance. So Heart Island is located off the east coast of the Bronx, and it's sort of in between the Bronx and Long Island. Now, I know we tend to think of Manhattan and the Bronx as like they're perpendicular to each other, but they're really not. Like Manhattan and the Bronx slope to the right and Long Island curves up to the left. So like, I, I don't know. I always think that like if I'm either going north or I'm going east out to the Bronx when really when you're going north through Manhattan, you're going northeast and the Bronx is northwest. So they're really, they actually are more parallel to each other than we think. And Heart Island sort of sits right in between the two. That's mm -hmm. where it is. Um, it's only one mile long. And prior to the arrival of the European colonizers in the 17th century, it was home to the Siwanoi. Then in 1654, Thomas Pell, quote unquote, purchased the island from the Siwanoi. I don't have information about what he gave them in exchange, but we know from history class that it probably wasn't very much. Yeah. After Thomas Pell died in 1669, ownership of the island then passed to his nephew, Sir John Pell, which these are the same people that Pelham Island is named after, if that means, means anything to you, if you've ever heard the name Pelham. Same people. Yeah. Um, it remained in the Pell family until 1774 when it began to pass ownership between families fairly often. According to history professor Elliot Gorn, Hart Island became a favorite spot for the underground boxing scene in the 1700s. One match could draw thousands of spectators, so it sort of became this, like, haven for uh, illegal sports, essentially. Mm -hmm. Then in 1864, Hart Island became available for public use when it became the training grounds for the 31st Infantry of the U.S. Colored Troops. Again, middle of the Civil War, got to train more people, open this training facility. Recruits were ferried from Battery Park to the island for training, and it's estimated that over 50,000 colored men were trained there for the Civil War. In November 1864, they also established a prisoner of war camp on the island with space for 5,000 prisoners, and the camp was used for five months after its completion in 1865. After the Civil War, 20, um, it be, the, I'll say that again. After the Civil War, there were 20 poor familyless Union veterans that were buried on the island in soldiers' plots. Um, and this began the process of turning Hearts Island into a burial ground. These are considered the first people to have been buried there. In May of 1868, New York City officially purchased Hearts Island from Edward Hunter, whose family had owned the island at the time, and city burials began on the property less than a year later. 
The first known civilian to be buried on Hearts Island was a woman named Louisa Van Slyke. She died in Charity Hospital. And following her burial, the cemetery on Hart Island became known as the City Cemetery or Potter's Field. If you don't know what a potter is, a potter is like a poor person um, who's either their family can't afford to um, have a private burial or they don't can't afford a plot on um, in a cemetery or um, they don't have any family. It's just considered like a poor degenerate person is what a potter is. Most of the people who were buried on Hearts Island were considered um, potters. The New York Times called Hearts Island the Greenwood of Five Points in 1880. And if you don't know what that's in reference to, Greenwood Cemetery is a massive cemetery in Brooklyn. The plots there today are very expensive um, and they were at the time as well. And there are quite a few notable people buried there. So that was considered like sort of the best cemetery in New York. And Five Points was a central plaza in Lower Manhattan where five gang territories all intersected, which is what's depicted in Martin Scorsese's Gangs of New York. So essentially this New York Times article was saying that all the rich people would be sent to Greenwood and all the poor people would be sent to Hart Island is the dichotomy they were pointing out. This was also a burial ground for Blackwell Island, which is modern day Roosevelt Island, which housed an asylum and state hospital as well as a prison. Oh. Yeah. As they buried people, they used a numbered grid system to facilitate um, disinterments for later identification at the morgue. So they had a way of mapping out the land so that they would know generally, but not exactly where the coffins were buried. The reason that they didn't know exactly was because all the coffins were buried in a trench in piles of five coffins deep and 20 <gasps> rows across. And then they would fill in that trench and dig a new one. <gasps> I can't five, uh... five coffins deep, 20 rows across. All the coffins were labeled with an ID number, the person's age, ethnicity, and the location the body was either found or delivered from. So it might say this is from Bellevue Hospital. It might say this is from Blackwell. Um, but that, that was how they would find them, identify them later if need be, if a family should come and try to claim their relative, which rarely happened. Approximately half of the burials on on Hart Island are children under five um, who died in New York City hospitals where the mothers would sign papers or still sign papers, it still happens today, authorizing a city burial. And the mothers were generally unaware of what that phrase meant. And when you choose a city burial, you don't get a choice on where the where they go. So a lot hmm. of people sort of just like lost their loved one into these trenches. Many other interred have families who live abroad or out of state and cannot get there quickly enough to avoid a burial. Um, all of the bodies are buried by inmates on either Rikers Island or when Blackwell Island was still open, Blackwell Island. So they all were buried by prisoners and those prisoners are only paid 50 cents an hour. And this is the same system that is still used for burials on the island today. It has not changed since the 1880s. Um. We should at least look at it. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's like They essentially face the same problems with mass burials as they did in the early 1900s. It's crazy. So by 1858, over 500,000 people had been buried on Hearts Island. However, Hart Island also started to have additional uses. 
During the 1870 yellow fever epidemic, Heart Island was used as a quarantine station. Around the same time, a woman's psychiatric hospital was constructed on the island and that was called the Pavilion. The asylum was expanded in 1892 after an investigation in the city's asylums um, found that they were overcrowded. So they added um, a couple thousand more beds to the pavilion. In the late 19th century, Heart Island added a men's workhouse, um, which a workhouse is like, um, the idea is that it's an institution where um, like poor and homeless men can go and like they do work in exchange for food and shelter. Um, Mm-hmm. And it was essentially, but this workhouse was essentially an extension of the prison and alms house on Blackwall Island. Um, if you've ever read um, any, I know that you haven't, Jane, but if any of the of, of our listeners have ever read The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead, it's a great book, um, that takes place at a boys workhouse, which um, a boys workhouse did open on Hart Island. 10 years later. So it's essentially a place designed for people who like have committed misdemeanors or who are considered like common criminals to send them to a place to like, quote unquote, reform themselves through work and like menial education. I don't know. I don't know. It's a big, it's a big flawed system, but there, there was one there. Um, in the early 20th century, Hart Island housed about 2,000 imprisoned boys and elderly prisoners from Blackwell Island. In 1924, something kind of odd occurred. John Hunter, um, who was a relative of Edward Hunter that had sold the property to the state of New York, uh, sold his remaining four acres of land on Hart Island to Solomon Riley, who was a millionaire real estate agent. And Riley proposed building an amusement park on Hart Island, which would become, quote, the Negro Coney Island. At the time, Black people were banned from Dobbs Ferry and Rye Playland. So he thought, and this was closer to Harlem. Um, so he thought mm-hmm. that this would be like a place for them to like go and escape and spend money and have fun. But so Riley started construction, but the state government seized the property from him over concerns with its proximity to a state hospital and a jail so they were like you can't do that and that never really happened but it was this like odd thing that someone tried to do during world war ii prisoners on hart island were moved to rikers island and the military began using hart island for disciplinary barracks following the war the new york city department of correction declared the facilities inadequate to be used as a prison they did an inspection and they found that Things had not been kept in a good enough condition. And the New York City Board of Estimate approved the construction of a homeless shelter there instead. Which makes me think that it's not that the facilities weren't good enough for a prison. It's that they weren't secure enough, I think. Because it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. it's good enough for the homeless, but it's not good enough for prisoners. Which to me says that it wasn't an issue of, like, facility. It was an issue of security. You know, Mm -hmm. not, not, not dangerous looking enough. But the homeless shelter was only open for three years from 1951 to 1954 before the Department of Correction regained control of the island. Then between 1955 and 1966, the island housed 1,200 to 1,800 prisoners at a time serving shorter sentences of 10 days to two years. So people who committed like theft, petty theft, um, a misdemeanor, something smaller, lesser crimes, you know. Therefore, the security issue was less, I don't know, potent. In 1959, the city announced a $7 million project to replace the current facility in Hearts Island 
with a new one. Um, and that new facility included a baseball field. After the prison closed in 1966, the facility became a drug rehabilitation center known as the Phoenix House. And the Phoenix House housed about 350 residents, but would hold festivals that would attract up to 10,000 people. And they also organized baseball games. So for this weird moment in the 60s, people were just going over to Hart Island to watch baseball. Um, and that continued until 1977, when regular ferry service to the island was officially suspended, so Phoenix House moved to Manhattan. And since 1977, attempts to re-inhabit Hart Island have failed. So it's been essentially empty, and no one's really lived there since the 70s. Mm -hmm. In 1982, Mayor Ed Koch proposed putting a, work, a workhouse there for people charged with misdemeanors, but not enough prisoners were sent there or zone, like zoned to that site for it to, be, to, for it to justify the cost. So that effort sort of failed. Um, in the 1980s, then, Hart Island once again became a popular burial ground. Now, originally, the city cemetery was situated on 45 acres at the north and southern tips, and the center was left open for population. So that's where the asylum was, that's where the prison was, that's where all the buildings were. But starting in 1985, Hart Island um, became a burial site for people dying in the AIDS epidemic. And the first 16 people buried there were buried in a remote section. So they started a new area in deep graves because the city feared their remains were contagious. And this sort of began the more spread out burial of people across the island. Mm. The only grave on the island with a concrete marker is for the first child to die of AIDS in New York City. The grave is marked SC-B1-1985, and that stands for Special Child Baby 1-1985. And today it's huh. called the Tomb of the Unknown Child. Um, to this day, any person in New York City whose body is not collected by a licensed funeral director is redirected to Hart Island. And this was very common during the AIDS epidemic, likely because people were dying pretty quickly. And um, I think the thing that Pose does so beautifully, and I love this show, I really do, is that Pose really points out the fact that um, many of the people who were dying of AIDS in the 80s and 90s were people who had been kicked out of their homes, right? They'd been rejected by their family for who they were. And so they, if they got sick, if they were in a hospital and something happened to them, they didn't have, there wasn't a due process for someone who was not their legal family to like help them through that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so there are these stories of these people who saw their close friends, their found family, you know, dying in hospitals and they had to be sent to Hart Island because none of their legal family would come and get them, which is really sad. Yeah. And this happened, that this is why Hart Island has so many people on it that died of AIDS. It's not just because they all were homeless or they all were poor, whatever. It was, you know, that sort of systematic oppression that prevented them from, you know, a, having the funds to have a funeral and like also 
the stigma around queerness at the time and how violent that was, you know, like it wasn't just like, oh, I, I, they were rejected. Like it really was, um, it, it really was very devastating, mm-hmm. you know, at the time. What also didn't help is that um, in the, in June of 1983, the New York State Feder- Funeral Directors Association urged its members not to embalm people with AIDS. So this really exacerbated the the burials of AIDS victims on Hart Island because even the licensed funeral directors that people could pay to do it were refusing to embalm AIDS victims and and give them a proper burial. So Mm -hmm. it sort of was this like two-pronged problem. To this day, the exact number of people buried on Hart's Island remains unknown. This is for many reasons, but most notably in the 1930s, grave diggers began stacking bodies on top of other skeletal remains, I think because of overcrowding. And a fire in the 1970s destroyed records. But between 1991 and 1993, artist Melissa Hunt and photographer Joel Sternfeld began photographing the island. Um, I highly recommend looking at their photos. They're very powerful. Um, And Hunt, following this project, founded the Heart Island Project in 1994. And their goal is to help families and friends of people buried on Heart Island um, identify where their family is and identify exactly who's buried there. Since 1994, Melinda Hunt and the team at the Heart Island Project have identified over 850,000 people buried on the island. Um, 73,059 of them buried after 1980. Um, So they've done a lot of amazing work in helping people, you know, sort of find at least the general area of where their loved one ended up. Because again, when you sign, when you say they will have a city burial, you get no information about where that person goes. It is now estimated that over 1 million people are buried on the island. And just to like give you a general idea of the scale of it, the entire island is only one-tenth of the size of Central Park. That's Whoa. how small it is. Yeah, and there's 1 million people buried there. The Heart Island Project has also done work to advocate for burial visitation rights for the families of the buried. Only in 2013 did the state pass legislation that required the Department of Corrections to make a database of burials and a visitation policy that was public. Before then, it was this very like convoluted process to get there and a lot of people were rejected and not allowed to come, which was difficult for people whose family was, you know, had just died and they wanted to go see them. And they had managed to identify that that's where they went, yet they still were being barred from visiting. Um, So they've done a lot of work to sort of give people the right to say, hey, you know, I get to go see my family member. Um, I get to visit Mm -hmm. where they are. For more information on the Heart Island Project, um, or to see an interactive map of the grave sites on Heart Island, which give you some information about like who was buried there and when, um, which is really interesting. You can go to heartisland.net. I recommend it. It's a very cool website, lots of cool information on there. Um, in 2019, control of Hearts Island passed to the Parks Department. Uh, this was after like a five-year judiciary process trying to get um, possession of the island away from the Department of Corrections. This prevents a future usage of Hearts Island as a correctional facility and could allow the island to be serviced by the New York City Department of Transportation Ferry, which is the cheapest and most accessible way for people to get to uh, Heart Island, if that does open up. So hopefully it does. 
Mm-hmm. As of 2019, Heart Island was still burying about 24 people a week. Again, these are people who um, are not claimed by a licensed funeral director from a hospital mm-hmm. at the time of their death. Um, I'm assuming most of these at this point are probably people who are experiencing homelessness and they couldn't identify them or people whose family live abroad. Um, it's, it's definitely much rarer at this point. Um, however, in 2020, Heart Island became an active burial site once again because of the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on the New York City hospital system. As of April 13th, burials had gone from 24 people a week to 24 people a day, um, which as a reminder, as of April 13th of 2020, um, I think 100,000 people, or sorry, as of now, 100,000 New Yorkers died. Just to like give you a scale, you know, of how many, Mm. of how, hard COVID hit the city. All of the people who were buried there um, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic were people who, um, whose bodies were not claimed by a next of kin. In 2020, the city officially suspended the use of Rikers Island inmates in burying the COVID-19 victims and the city hired contract workers who could use hazmat suits instead. So it took the pandemic for them to say, we can't make prisoners do this work because they didn't know if they were at risk for getting sick or not because it's a virus. The last thing I'll share is a story from an article from the New York Times from 2018. They shared the experience of a woman named Elsie Soto, who is a woman from the Bronx, who learned in 2018 that her father was buried on Hearts Island after dying of AIDS in 1993. It took her 15 years to find out exactly where her father was sent. Her family had been forced to send her father to a city burial because of the Funeral Directors Association's statement on AIDS-related deaths. Um, And for that reason, the funeral directors that were still willing to embalm um, an AIDS victim was very, very expensive. So they couldn't afford it, so they sent him to a city burial. And Elsie Soto said, quote, it was a double indignity to die from such a stigmatized disease and then to be buried in anonymity in a mass grave. When she went to visit the island, she was escorted by a correctional officer to a broken marker in a mass grave. And they told her that he was in, that her father was in that section, but they couldn't say where. In the same New York Times article, Barbara Butcher, who was the chief of staff for the city's medical examiner in the 90s, said that she visited the island and found the place in a state of disarray. The inmates were forced to bury the bodies, ignored a lot of protocols out of fear that they would, quote, catch AIDS. Um, So they were doing Mm -hmm. it sort of sloppily and haphazardly, um, despite some of the bodies they were burying having been dead for weeks or even months. Um, but there was so little information being shared about the actual, um, you know, causes and um, potential dangers of AIDS that people were acting like if you touched a person that had it, you would get it, which is very sad and unfortunate. Mr. Rupert, who managed the burials on Hearts Island in the 90s, said there were no regulations and little information to guide them on how to safely, you know, put them to rest but so they ignored that (laughs) 
Most relatives of people buried on the island are like Elsie Soto. They have no idea that's where their family member is buried, which is why it's important to support projects like the Heart Island Project to give some families much needed closure. And that is everything on Heart Island. Wow. Yeah, I can't believe I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's a super interesting piece of history, Cricket right? It just climbed out from under my... <laughs> Yeah. All right. You're going in. That's okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What? What? I said you're going in and out. What? I (laughs) said. I said you're going in and out, but it's okay because oh, okay. that's the end. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> cricket. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Instagram. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com. And we would love to put it on our show. Jane, you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering, Sarah? This is going to feel like I'm trolling you. And I'm not. Oh I'm not trolling okay. you. I genuinely think... <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely uh, curious and I think, I think you may have this curiosity too. I would like you to tell me about Secretariat. <laughs> no, you only would have been trolling me if you had said Seabiscuit. <laughs> I was thinking of asking about Seabiscuit, but Secretariat has a more interesting story, I think. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For those if you who want don't to throw know. in some sea biscuit facts, one time Jane and I were playing Trivial Pursuit, and if she got the question right, she would have won the game. And the question was about like some famous horse. It was like, what famous horse did XYZ in the 90s? Whatever. I think it's the 90s. And Jane's sitting there, she's thinking for so long. And I'm sitting, I was I was like, oh, and I read the question. I said, you know this. I was like, oh, she's gonna win. She knows yeah. it. And Jane's sitting there and she's looking at me and she's like looking around and a couple minutes go by and she goes, I don't know. I, the only horse I can think of is Seabiscuit and he's fictional. So <laughs> I literally, my whole body paled and I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> so I was like, if I tell her she wins, if I don't tell her, and I won the game, bitch. <laughs> I did win the game. So looking out for number one. So now I make fun of her because I because even if you said secretariat, I would have been like, yeah, props for you knowing like a a real like real horse secretariat. But then later you also were like, wait, secretariat's real too. (laughs) (laughs) It's like everybody can name two real horses: Sea Biscuit and Secretariat, except for Jane, I guess. But the best fictional horse is Flicka. 
Anyway, what that's what I want to Felicity's horse in, in her Oh, story. um, it was, it was like <laughs> Penny? Tom or something like that. Penny, Penny. I think it was Penny. I'm going to look it up. Felicity, American Girl Doll. A horse. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. Oh no! While you're looking it up, do you want me to? Yes, me to please. Okay, Sarah. Do you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering, Jane? What is in sunscreen? What is it made of? Uh, what did it used to be made of that we were like, that's bad for your skin? Are there any ingredients to look out for? Is this because of the recent scandal that sunscreen accidentally has benzene in it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. We can talk about that. I love being I a having, scientist. Well, I was having a discussion with somebody earlier, too, that they were like, and all these people go to the beach and they lather themselves up in sunscreen and then they go swimming in the ocean and it's just filling up our waters. And I was like... Yeah, but I don't know what an alternative would be. Right. Yeah, I'll look into that for sure. Um, the, the horse's name is Penny. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice, nice. So congrats for that. Um, all right, that's what's coming at you next week. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering. <laughs>